Hey, I want to welcome you to Soul City Church. Uh, my name is Jarrett, and my wife Jean and I have the profound privilege of pastoring uh, this dynamic and diverse church. We're a local church here in the heart of downtown Chicago with a global impact. Our vision is big, but our mission is, is really simple. We just, we want to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We want to do whatever we can do to help you find and follow Jesus. And this week, as we here in America walk through a difficult and, let's be honest, divisive election, I want us to consider just one simple question, a question that no one seems to want to take the time to ask, but the answer to which I believe has huge implications, not only on the state of your soul, but on the state of others' souls as well. And that question is just this, is there a wrong way to be right? Is there a wrong way to be right? Have you ever thought about that before? If not, you're not alone. And, and here's a little spoiler alert for the message. Yes, yes, there is a wrong way to be right. Lots of wrong ways to be right. And it's a big part of the big mess we find ourselves in this election. We're actually in week two of our series, Church and State. These teachings actually go up to and through this election. And I I said last week that I want you to think of these teachings like uh, like family meetings for church folk, right? But like the good kind of family meetings. And if you missed last week and are hankering for an unnecessarily long look at church history and the harm done by the church and the hope of the church, you can catch up after watching this. We've been blown away by the response to that teaching from last week. And I think it might be helpful and even hopeful for you as we're all kind of navigating these just absolutely bananas days that we're walking through. You know, recently, I, I came across uh, something online that honestly, I, I'd never really seen before and it blew me away. Apparently, a well-known influencer with millions of followers posted to Instagram a brief post about their opinion on COVID-19 and how we all need to listen to the scientists, wear a mask, and practice good, safe, physical distancing. And as you can imagine, in moments, there were thousands of opinions fired back in the comment section. But the ones that actually caught my eye were those from professed Christians. They were posting long diatribes back to this influencer that they'd never met, telling him how wrong he was and how right they were and how this whole virus is made up and how this influencer was an idiot and didn't know what they were talking about and how he should stick to posting pictures of himself by the beach on vacation. Some of these folks even use Bible verses to back up their rants about how stupid this person was and how wrong their opinion was. Some made it political, some made it spiritual, but all of them were just mean, right? Nothing new there. But what happened next is actually what caught my attention. This Instagram influencer who had posted a fairly innocuous post about this virus, because of these angry and, and hateful comments from Christians, saw the error of his ways. And in the very next post, he gave his life to Jesus. And he specifically credited the cruel comments from Christians as the main reason for his conversion. Isn't that an incredible story? Only God, right? Now, <clears throat> does anybody watching this believe for one single solitary second that that story is actually true? Does anyone think that anything like that might actually happen in our world today? No, of course not. That would never happen, would it? 
And yet for some reason, Christians have somehow come to believe that being right is more important than being loving. Don't Listen, if you don't believe me, just go to any comment section and you'll see what I'm talking about. According to a recent U.S. Today poll, they found that 53% of Americans say that they were subject to hate speech and harassment online. And that poll was done two years ago. The numbers are only rising. It's estimated that around a third of the comments online contain hateful content or personal attacks. And thankfully, while the number of Christian trolls isn't quite as high as, say, other groups, sadly, it is rising. So listen, I want you to hear this from the heart of God today. Being right without being loving is wrong. Being right without being loving is wrong. Jesus never said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you bash one another online, if you put one another on blast, if you judge and yell and type in all caps to prove that you're right. No, he never said that. He said that we are to love one another. And it's precisely our love for each other and our love for others that will show this world that there is another way, a better way, God's way. But, but somehow along the way, Christians became obsessed with being right. And we traded God's righteousness for our rightness. And it's a big part of the mess we find ourselves in today, especially around this election. And not surprisingly, this should come as no surprise, Jesus always knew that this was in us. He knew that if left to ourselves, we would always find wrong ways to be right. In fact, he even prayed for us. He prayed for you specifically around this idea. In fact, I want you to see for yourself what it was that Jesus prayed for for you. And it's found in John 17. So while you're watching this, go ahead and grab a Bible or open up a tab in another window to John 17. I want you to just kind of hold that for just a second. Now, my hunch is is that you've had people pray for you before at some point in your life. I know I have. It's a powerful thing to have someone else pray for you. But when Jesus prays for you, when Jesus prays for you, that's a big deal. Just think about that for a second. Jesus prayed for you. Jesus, who is fully God, prayed to God for you. I don't know theologically how exactly that works. Is he praying to himself? Is it basically like him just telling Siri to set a reminder? I I, I don't know how it all works. But I do know is what he prayed for you, what he prayed for us and for this world. And it matters so much right now. So John 17, we're going to start in verse 20. I want to read this passage to you. And then we're going to look at how easy it is for us to be right all the wrong ways. Now, pay attention to what Jesus keeps saying in this passage. Pay special attention. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be, now get this, pay attention. All of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be, here it is again, one as we are one. I and them, 
and you and me so that they may be brought to complete, this is very, like, don't miss this, complete unity. Now it's after that unity that we get this. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Did you get that? Did you get what Jesus was praying for there? What he longs to see in his followers, what the world needs to see in his followers. He prayed for oneness, that we would actually be one, that we would be aligned around him, that we would be unified in light of the grace that we have received from him, and that together we would offer the same grace to this world. He wants us, he wants you, he wants me to be one. Now, it's important to note, and I just wanna draw a little distinction here, that oneness does not mean sameness. Oneness does not mean sameness. Our friend, Pastor Harvey, broke this down for us back at the beginning of the summer. Oneness does not mean sameness. Listen, Jeannie and I have oneness. I mean, we've been together for over 25 years, but that does not mean that we see things or approach things the same. For instance, like when it comes to, to the music we listen to while we're doing the dishes at night, she seems to think that we should listen to worship music, while I think we should actually listen to 80s and 90s hip hop and R&B. And I think we know whose side of this argument God is on, right? Listen, we can have oneness without sameness. In fact, actually, this is precisely the beauty of what the church is supposed to be in the world. This is what Jesus was praying for. Oneness, that we would be unified around our common love for God and from God. But nothing ruins oneness more than rightness. Nothing gets in the way more than you trying to force people to see it your way, to vote your way, to turn people away. And I believe that this is what we have already seen across Europe and around the world and are now experiencing here in America, the world is turned off by the church because the church has turned its back on all those who don't see things their way. So church, family meeting, don't let your rightness ruin our oneness. Don't let your rightness ruin our oneness. I get it. You have political views and values that matter to you. And they may even be shaped by your beliefs and convictions about God. That's great. Guess what? I do too. But the moment I use my political views against you, we lose. You may think that you've won the argument, but we all lose. So don't let your rightness ruin our oneness. You know, one of the things I've learned about being so right for so long with Jeannie is that when I'm locked into my rightness, I miss her presence. I miss her perspective. I, I, I miss her gift to me of another point of view. Anytime that Jeannie and I are in a, uh, a strongly worded disagreement, <clears throat> a strongly worded disagreement, the reason that we are there is almost always because we are both locked into our rightness. And it's usually me more so than her. Because when I'm locked into my rightness about whatever it may be, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm always convinced that I'm right. I can so easily miss her. R rather than being curious or open, I get defensive and I double down. And what ends up happening is that my rightness 
becomes my blindness. I become closed off. I cut myself off from listening, from from, from learning, from, from growing, from transforming. I cut myself off from connection and closeness with her or with anyone else. And that's exactly what happens to you when you get locked into being right. So listen, please don't miss this. Don't let your rightness become your blindness. Don't let your rightness become your blindness. I, I, I believe that this is at the, the heart of what Jesus prayed for in John 17. He wants us to see God at work in us and in others. He wants the world to see something different about us, but they don't get to see that and you don't get to see them when you allow your rightness to become your blindness, when you only view people as only their political views, when you refuse to get curious or, or, or open yourself up to someone else's perspective and experience. When we paint other people's lives and beliefs and identity only using broad strokes and generalizations. When you find yourself only watching Fox News. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Or MSNBC or CNN or whatever your echo chamber of choice actually is. When you only follow people online or only have friends in real life that see things the exact same way as you do politically, you might actually have a blindness issue. And again, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have views and opinions, that you shouldn't be passionate about the issues that matter to you, or that you shouldn't vote or act on these political convictions. Not at all. I'm just saying that you're not the only one who thinks that they're right. And maybe, just maybe, God has something for you through someone else who sees things differently than you do. And the last thought that I have for this week's family meeting, coming out of Jesus's prayer in John 17, is, is just this. It's a real simple warning. Just know that the world is watching. The world is watching, church. This last summer, uh, in several of the marches that our family took part in here in Chicago, some of them actually going right down our street in front of our house, there was a chant that thousands of us would chant together in unison. And the chant was, the world is watching. The world is watching. The world is watching. And I couldn't agree more, church. And again, I'm just talking to churchy folk. Like if that's not you and you're watching this, feel free to say amen at any point, right? Church, the world is watching. The world is watching how we treat each other. The world is watching how we treat others, how we treat those who are oppressed and overlooked and under-resourced. The world is watching how we treat people online. The world is watching whether or not we care about being right or being loving. The world is watching, but I don't know how much longer they're going to watch if we don't get our house in order. So in light of Jesus's prayer for you and for me, for our country, for our world, don't let your rightness ruin your witness. Don't let your rightness ruin your witness, your example, your shot of showing this world that there is more, that we can actually disagree politically and still live together in unity, that we never actually love our political positions more than we love actual people, 
that we're willing to not only take a stand on what matters to us, but walk with those who disagree with us. The world is watching and they're looking for the love of God at work in you and through you. So as we walk through what will undoubtedly be a historically significant week this week, as our country is pushed to the brink yet again, as everyone wants to show how right they are, how wrong everyone else is, would you be willing to walk a different path? Would you be willing to live into the prayer Jesus has for you, for me, for us? Will you value being loving over being right? Will you see others, especially those who don't look like you or, or see things the way you do or vote like you for who they actually truly are? Sons and daughters made in the image of the living God, as valuable to him as you are. So your work for the week this week is to lead with love. Lead with love. Sometimes leading with love means saying something. It means speaking up. Sometimes leading with love means shutting up, shutting your mouth. It means listening. It always means listening. It always means loving, even when you disagree, even when you don't see eye to eye. Vote. If you haven't yet already, vote. Have your political convictions. Stand up against injustice, but do so with love. Do so from love, the same love that God has for you, the same love that God has for them. And maybe this week, for the sake of your soul and, and for the sake of having a shot of us getting this oneness thing right, maybe the best thing you can do is to unplug from your echo chamber. We all got them. Unplug from your echo chamber. Avoid the comment section if at all possible. Listen, the world doesn't need your hot take as much as you think they do. And practice what Jesus wants to perfect in you and in me, in his church, that we would actually be one, that we would see that there is a far bigger table set for all of us by God. And that what makes our unity such a mystery and such a thing of beauty is precisely because of our diversity.